Hello, curious humans. This is a slightly different type of episode in which my friend Christopher interviewed me for his Do Explain podcast. And I enjoyed this conversation so much that I decided it was worth releasing here as well. This was probably one of the deepest dives I've done on all things related to emotional fluidity, various modalities for working with the body, somatics, and just finding wholeness. And Christopher was just an amazing conversational partner. So I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. And then this episode is also made possible by the one and only Nervous System Mastery, which is my flagship five-week bootcamp that's designed to equip you with evidence-backed protocols for cultivating calm and emotional fluidity. And the applications are officially open for this year's cohort. So if you're interested in any of this stuff that Chris and I dig into, then I feel pretty good in saying that this training would be a good fit. It's essentially my attempt to distill everything I've learned in recent years about how to create the conditions for our nervous systems flourishing. Previous students have shared how taking part not only improved their sleep and the quality of their relationships, but help them to tap into deeper states of joy, clarity, and confidence in their lives. We've had over 400 students complete this training, and many have said it's been the most impactful thing they've ever done for their personal growth. So with all that said, if you're interested at all, you can find more details and apply at nsmastery.com. That's nsmastery.com. Okay. Enjoy the conversation. All right. So I have the great pleasure of being here today with fellow Somanaut and podcaster Johnny Miller. Johnny, welcome to the podcast, man. It's great to be here. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I'm I'm really excited. Uh, you might even call it giddy. Which, uh, which is a nice, <laughs> nice feeling to have. <laughs> that's a good starting point, definitely. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Actually, me too. Uh, that's awesome, man. And it's funny because I mean, we haven't, uh, we haven't interacted much at all previously. And you recently reached out to me through Twitter and suggested mm-hmm. that we have a conversation together. And uh, you sent me an episode from your podcast with Joe Hudson who is a um, almost a co-host on this podcast <laughs> at this point. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we mm. both really like Joe and his stuff. So that was uh, uh, mm. a great start. And then so I, I did some snooping and I checked out your Twitter there, Johnny. And uh, I was struck immediately by how, yeah, we seem to be, I, I shouldn't say too much before. Maybe we hate each other. I don't know, but <laughs> we seem to it's be, uh, yeah, we seem to be like two piece in a pot a bit. You, you describe uh-huh. yourself there as, I think, a curious somnout or something like that, somnout. And uh, mm-hmm. my tagline, which I think I mentioned every other episode here, but is the irrevocably curious dickhead. And also a not so humbly somatic release black belt. So I think I like your conjunction better. Like you had a more <laughs> succinct way of explaining it. But so, uh, so, so I'm super excited to dive more into that. And I know that you have uh, 
also some uh, differences in the angles you have taken to the, the, the similar type of path. And mm-hmm. so I imagine that I can learn uh, heaps from you and, and hopefully I can bring something to the table as well. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to dive in. And, and I listened to both of your episodes with Joe um, actually on uh, on an airplane on the way back from Vermont. And they were just so, so moving and so powerful and just really, really respect like the, the vulnerability that you guys brought to that. So, um, yeah, deep respect for that. Thanks for saying that. That's really sweet. And uh, yeah, fuck, man, that was uh, very intense. And I'm so I, I still can't believe that I got to do it. First of all, uh-huh. that I got to talk to him in his uh, on his arena like that. It was absolutely uh-huh. amazing. So um, I'm happy that people are getting something out of it as well. That's always fun to hear. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, so I, I think I'd like to start with uh yeah with you so i want to start with perhaps just um if you could tell us what you spend your days doing right now in the present and and thinking about what's on your mind and uh then we can dive into the history and how you got there a little more but who who is johnny miller any way you want (laughs) to define him or not That, that's a great question. I think I'm still trying to figure that one out for myself. Um, but Good. in terms of how I, how I spend my days, um, I, I have a podcast as well called Curious Humans. And I also just love having conversations with, with people that I admire, people that I, I'd like to learn from. Um, some of them are also, you know, like informal coaching sessions at, at times as well. Um, right, and right. then I'm, I'm fascinated by, by the body, by the nervous system. Um, I do uh, kind of breath work as well, like one-to-one um, breath work sessions with people. Mm. And I guess I'm exploring <clears throat> the ways in which our nervous system is a lens through which we experience our lives and we experience the world. And kind of, as you mentioned in, in the intro, like trying to un- like understand the, these bodies, trying to understand the, the language of the body and attempt to share that through this this course that i have called nervous system mastery um and Mm. that's that's really the focus of of my days like i spent the last five years dicking around experimenting doing lots of things but it it feels (laughs) like it feels like these these experiments have kind of distilled and condensed into this this nervous system mastery course and and the podcast And, and obviously continuing my own learning through this through this training that's yeah that's awesome man have you been practicing that (laughs) That uh, yeah that's super nice i yeah i think i would fumble a lot if someone asked me uh the same question that's nice i I used to hate that question like like, yeah yeah yeah. you You know it's like shit i don't know i don't know (laughs) i don't i don't have like a succinct answer to that it's it's always a tough one (laughs) yeah and i i i uh i really resonated with and correct me if I'm I'm butchering it, but I think you said uh, exploring the nervous system as the lens through which we experience the world, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, yep. yeah, that was that was really nice. That's a T-shirt right there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, no, but that's super cool. And and, uh, and so I, yeah, so I, I think I would I I'd like to go straight to okay, so. Um, Maybe first ask a question that I think I already know the answer to, just to frame it, which is, mm-hmm. um, 
were you always interested in yeah doing you know the the emotional fluidity and and you know the the somatic work and if no i'd love to hear some uh, some backdrop to it and and what your journey looked like to find yourself in the position you are now mm yeah um well shockingly the answer is no um i grew yeah. up as you can probably tell from the accent in in england and we have a reputation for being like emotionally repressed i think it's fair to say <laughs> right, right um and i grew up in you know like british british private school background um and, and i i think i was always i was always philosophically interested i studied philosophy at university um i was always interested in, in like the big questions but it always came from a very like heady place i'd say always like an intellectual curiosity um right and and then five and a half years ago uh i i had a ex-fiance at the time her name was sophie and she had bipolar disorder and mm. one one morning i was i was traveling in portugal at the time she went to work she was working as a junior doctor and she had a really intense anxiety attack and mm. she came came home that day and ended up overdosing on her own medication and she took her own life and mm. that that journey through grief and the pain of that of that loss really like broke me open in in so many ways i mean it, it like turned my life upside down and yeah. the the pain as i think at least i imagine resonates in, in your story as well the, the pain of that was what brought me into my body and and I, i kind of like went through this journey of learning to surrender to the grief essentially um, yeah. and this was over a period of months and years and and as that begun to to subside or, or to integrate um i just realized that like wow there was so there's so much here in my body that i just been totally unaware of you know like yeah. almost numb numb from the neck down to some degree um, <laughs> right. and i just became both like like shocked in a way and also just fascinated and i think that that lens of like adventure and curiosity that i had for for travel and for the outer worlds got like turned inwards and i started yeah. exploring meditation vipassana retreats plant medicine breathwork um and just kind of exploring these different modalities and approaches for for like going inwards and and, and like unpacking like what's what's here <laughs> yeah yeah i think it's hard sometimes to when you hear things like that personal tragedies that uh my my inclination is to be like oh i'm i'm so sorry you had to go through that and mm. to some extent uh That's true. I, I I'm I'm sorry for that suffering, and yet I get equally excited uh, to hear how you. It sounds like you transformed that, and that became a catalyst to something uh, mm. immensely beautiful in the end. And um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I'm also very happy and grateful that that that's the way you, the the road you ended up taking in in the end. Mm -hmm. um, And, yeah uh, and no this i think this is a really this is like a really key point for me in the sense of um i i sometimes use the analogy of like it was like free diving down through this like icy lake of hell like swimming deeper yeah. and deeper and deeper and when i finally like got to the bottom of this lake i like fully surrendered to the the pain yeah. uh it was like there was a trap door to a trap door to heaven like a trap door to yeah to bliss and connection and and like aliveness and this and there's a rawness 
Yeah. And and it, it really, it kind of shocked me. And I, I, I gave a, a talk a couple of years ago called The Gifts of Grief. And yeah. although, you know, if I could go back in time and do anything to change what happened, I would. But there mm. have still been these profound gifts from the grieving process. And, and I'd say my life is is totally different to to how it yeah. was and who I was even even four or five years ago. Yeah. Okay. So, th okay. That was how long ago it happened? Mm -hmm. five, five and a half years ago. Yeah. And how old are you? I have uh, a hard time thir guessing. 34. Yeah. 34. <laughs> okay. No, that, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I'm the same. I don't even care anymore. <laughs> Who cares? But, uh, okay. 34. Yeah. That's a nice age. I feel like especially... Yeah, I feel like you're you're kind of in your prime as a man between I, I'd say 35 to 40 there maybe perhaps. Uh actually I I might take that back. I might even go as far as to say either you're never in your prime or even that something like 50 would be your prime. I, I was going to say like, I know some like 60-year-olds who would who would beg to differ. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's very nice and hopeful. And honestly, in my own case where I feel like Uh, to a large large extent i've squandered my 20s um mm. uh, very stuck uh and, and um being unable to move forward in a in a nice way so so when i'm now peeking out of that and and have found my own trap door to heaven mm. as you put it i i'm thinking that fuck man my 30s are they're gonna uh yeah easily be my best decade and then the it's just going to keep climbing I, i definitely feel like that but um i hope so here's the <laughs> yeah, but um okay so because it sounds uh from what you said there that uh you didn't really have uh the interest uh before this happened or or the tools perhaps to actually mm -hmm. deal with a, a, a I mean as much as anyone can ever have the tools to deal with something uh huge like that but um mm -hmm. what because I also imagine that it, it took you a while to find your bearing there and actually start treading in the right direction I'm just curious what what um how long was that period for you and and where did you what, what was the first whiff that you got where did you start start so to speak mm, yeah that's a great question um well i, I think firstly it, it, in my experience it often requires some kind of pain or or tragedy to yeah like bring us down into this and and i'd had a fairly kind of like middle class average upbringing and i hadn't mm. experienced like great loss or great tragedy before that and so I, there hadn't really been an, an opening so to speak um and i i think like if if i remember back to like the months afterwards i i remember i remember seeing older men who had been through loss and it it, it seemed as if they hadn't grieved fully and there was mm. this like deadness that i almost this like like yeah. zombie kind of like lifelessness yeah. to them And I think honestly, that really scared me. And, and I was like, I, I knew I was self-aware enough to know that I wasn't a very emotional being. And yeah. I, I think that I then decided to go headfirst in the other direction 
and, uh, you know, like like on a mission to like, I'm going to feel the fuck out of this. <laughs> like, yeah. that kind of, <laughs> that, that, yeah. that kind of like foolhardy, but yeah, that kind of approach. And initially that was through a, I went through a 10 day Vipassana um, shortly afterwards. And then yeah. followed by some some kind of traveling to places that were meaningful to to Sophie and I. And, can, and, can I just mm -hmm. I just want to follow up on the on the Vipassana retreat? There mm -hmm. was yeah. I, I'm like was that because uh, I can imagine uh, perhaps two different scenarios there. Either that um, it's too soon and you were yeah so raw that it was just like mm -hmm. a lot of so much repression going on that you, you couldn't mm -hmm. really cut through or on the other end <clears throat> that it was completely overwhelming to spend 10 days doing nothing else than hanging out mm -hmm. in the mind with all that repressed stuff. Mm -hmm. And now this big, huge, tragic event. Uh, mm. <clears throat> yeah. I, I think for me, it was probably more, more the former, but um, I, I mean, I, yeah, I tend okay. to believe that, that we only like, what arises is is what's ready to be felt and to be integrated. And so for me, I, mm. I remember having both this contrast of a very deep meditative, like states of absorption during the meditations. And then the evenings were actually the hardest for me, like the nights I remember waking up from like nightmares yeah. about, lo about losing Sophie and just like, you know, having no one there, not being able to speak to anyone, just being in this like oh, very scared state. <clears throat> so I think those were the, those were the challenging pieces. Um, and, and it also opened a door for me of like, wow, there's so much more to this meditation thing than, than sitting yeah. here watching my breath. Like there were just <laughs> right, states right. that opened up that I was like, wow, I, I think I, I'm starting to get it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but sorry, I interrupted you there. So, so after the Vipassana retreat. Yeah. So after that, um, I, I, I ended up sitting with some ayahuasca, um, ceremonies which mm. were also very opening profound healing in different ways and and, and in some ways also um <clears throat> kind of uh completely disintegrating my materialist secular view of the world like i was you <laughs> right, know, a staunch yeah. atheist and i was very kind of proud of my of being rational and i had experiences that i was like i i can't explain what what just happened there mm -hmm. um so i think that was very profound as well and, and experiencing memories <clears throat> and like like the energy of sophie in in that context was also very powerful mm -hmm. um and again just just opening up more of the of the inner landscape um, and, and then from there I did a, a freediving training. I was spent some time in Bali and both the freediving itself was, was very powerful. And my instructor was trained as a, as a breath worker. So we did a guided breathwork journey on one of the afternoons and I had a, a, an experience that was on par with any psychedelic that I've ever taken. And mm. it, was, it was ecstatic and blissful. And, and I experienced Sophie in that as well. And I was like, wow, like that just happened because I breathed in a certain way. Like, like what, yeah, the, what, the hell, what the hell is that? Like, what, there's, there's something here. <laughs> there's really something here. And I, and I wanted to, to dive into that. So that became a big part of my exploration in the next few years as well. And what kind of breath work was that? At that particular um, event, th that session was was a holotropic breathwork session. But since that then, I've I've trained in conscious connected breathing and what's known as facilitated breath repatterning, 
um, which I would actually yeah. recommend and advocate for more than the holotropic, which can be yeah, quite, yeah. it can be too intense and it can be like you're huffing and puffing for two or three hours. And it's, it's actually not, it doesn't really honor the nervous system in ways that other right. modalities do. Well, I wish I would have stopped you before that because I'm doing one uh, holotropic workshop tomorrow, <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> oh, that's tomorrow, huh? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but uh, but I, I, I'm aware of that, and I, I'm um, uh, I definitely want to get into the differences and the specific mm. uh, modalities that you mentioned there because I'm really sure. intrigued by that. But um, so when did you uh, when did you stumble over the Joe Hudson stuff? Mm. Um, Joe, Joe Hudson came to my awareness maybe, maybe a year ago, eight to 18 months ago. Um, it's oh, rel okay. relatively recent. And yeah, I think yeah. that it's, it's, it's like wonderfully complementary to the, the nervous yeah. system and, and breathwork pieces that I've been doing where I've been both witnessing in myself and guiding others through these very intense, like emotional cathartic releases. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, seeing the full spectrum of emotions come through in these journeys, um, but not quite having the, the, the map or the vocabulary that Joe brings to this. Yeah. And so re really seeing this wonderful intersection or overlap between what I've experienced and felt in myself and the kind of the frameworks that Joe brings. Yeah. I mean, I think he, um, I don't know if it's his distinction to begin with, but I've heard it said by him, which is the uh, head, heart, and gut awakening rather mm. than, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's meant to point out that a lot of um, meditative paths seem to emphasize or even uh, only uh, present the head awakening part and then, then, then you're done mm. kind of um, – And so I, I find that distinction very useful. And I guess mm -hmm. that uh, that and the term emotional fluidity, I just find mm -hmm. to be uh, exceptionally useful. And uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's just um, paradoxically because I, I definitely tended to be a, a heady in my head person uh, as well. Mm -hmm. And, Now, having put that aside, not completely, because because I think intellectual stuff and uh, yeah, I I love debate, I love disagreement because I love uh, um, good faith disagreement. I should say disagreement between people who aren't identified strongly with their ideas and they actually want to change their mind. If the right. arguments go that there, then I think there's few things that are as fun as the puzzle of <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> intensely disagreeing and trying to uh -huh. like tear down arguments i think that's very fun and i agree i guess i guess i was uh having abandoned that a bit or the emphasis on it quite a bit and mm -hmm. diving into the the body and and uh feeling and, and all those uh less rational sounding but but i i have um i have a gripe there where i i I don't think it's fair to to call emotions and these other responses irrational in any regard. I, I don't think the dichotomy is I don't think there's a strong dichotomy between reason and emotion in any in any mm -hmm. way there. But I, I've been surprised to find that 
I'm much, at least I think so. Maybe I'm just deluded, but I, I think I'm much more intellectually powerful <laughs> mm. and able to reason because it's not mm -hmm. coming from that self-conscious, contracted, narrow, neurotic self uh, behind the face mm. anymore. It's more, it's coming from the whole system, the whole um, embodied awareness that is uh, being me uh, in each moment. And it's, it's just, uh, I, I'm very surprised and pleasantly surprised by that. I, I, yeah, I can reason better and with less work, it's a win-win. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so just, just to like, like double click on that, I, I agree. And I think as Joe says, that you know, we, we tend to find reasons or rationality to argue for the things that our emotions are telling us, whether or not we're aware yeah. of it. So the more that we can be aware of this full spectrum of emotions, the more yeah. we, the, the less biased we are really. Um, if, if we're truly able to like welcome everything and to kind of invite in the full spectrum of feeling, even when it feels shit, then mm -hmm. I actually think that we're a lot more, um, ironically, a lot more rational and a lot more, uh, kind of coherent in our, in our yeah. beliefs. Yeah, I mean, it's just information of a different kind. Like, emo mm -hmm. it's it's easy, and I, uh, I've had a lot of discussions with my my dad about this, and I mean, a lot of <clears throat> a lot of my own story of repression and uh, learning not to allow myself to feel in the first place is not is not British culture as much as. Uh, well, I guess Swedish culture too, but a lot was my family dynamics as well. And mm -hmm. uh, so whenever I talk to him, there seems to be a misunderstanding, or at least the way I think about it, where it's an either or. Either you're rational and you think things through and you're logical and emotions are kind of yucky and silly and hysterical and none of that, please. Or mm -hmm. you're on the other end where it's, it's all emotion, and it's not only that, it's all emotion, and the stories that uh, you tell yourself while you feel those emotions, and so the whole trope of, and my mom is here, so I had two extremes here, I guess, right. and so, uh, so she would say things like, or uh, more historically, but she leans towards the follow your heart, uh, which which carries wisdom with it. If you take the charitable interpretation of that, that's great. That means you 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 have intuition and you have there's valuable information in the emotional system that you can't uh, disregard. But mm -hmm. when taken to the extreme of oh, I feel angry right now, so that means this situation, uh, so, somebody has done something bad. Something external mm -hmm. is not the way it should be objectively. Yeah. Or yeah. I'm terrified right now, so I must be objectively in danger. Or yeah. uh, not seeing that it, it, it's all information. The anger is telling you, okay, you, uh, because of what you believe and, and your values and everything, unconsciously and consciously, uh, you judge the situation to be uh, somebody tre trespassing on your boundaries, for instance, with mm -hmm. anger, or you judge the situation to be act actually dangerous. But maybe someone just mm -hmm. said, oh, I disagree with uh, that argument that you just made for why veganism is better or something. Mm -hmm. And you have a full-on mm -hmm. stress response, like you're being chomped on by a polar bear or something. Right? <laughs> um, and And also, my favorite that I actually... And this became uh, somewhat of a rant, but 
Yeah. Uh, the 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 wor the worrier somebody who just um, worries and ruminates in a bad spiral, and that's also who my mom tended to be. Uh, uh-huh. That's my dad's best definition uh, for somebody who's emotional. And right. what I told him then that I I think I still agree with is that is failing to be fully emotional that's failing to actually feel in this case i would imagine the fear that you have that's there to be felt Mm -hmm. and if fully felt you would have clarity uh to actually judge whether you're in fear or not but since you're repressing that fear that turns into this spiraling thought loop of worry and anxiety instead yeah and so uh so i think once you see the theoretical um, h- how much it makes sense to feel your feelings on the theoretical uh, basis as well, that it's not this mm-hmm. irrational, bad other extreme, then I think that it's, um, you, you can't beat an integra- integrated system uh, in that sense. And you wouldn't want to because it's actually much more enjoyable to learn uh-huh. that. yeah yeah I, I think that's really beautifully articulated and, and i'd maybe add like some of the languaging that we use in in the breathwork world is like if you're if you're kind of like um going so into the emotion that you, that you lose yourself in a way we call it emotionally flooding and and like you said that's yeah. that's actually a way of avoiding feeling the thing because you're externalizing or you're blaming or you're playing the victim mm-hmm. um which is which is it's equivalent to someone who's just completely repressed and pushing it down and not willing to feel it and and both of them are like like kinks of the the energy in motion or or emotion and yeah and and i think that's maybe why you know feeling of feelings has like a a bad reputation in in some of our cultures because (laughs) people have associated it with people who just emotionally flood they blame they don't take any responsibility and that they're not actually feeling the thing like you say it's just an, another yeah. way of it kind of kind of coming out kinked. Yeah. I get I, I've articulated this uh to myself recently as well. But I, I think what I've been doing to a large extent now with my own podcast, if I look at it started off very uh, intellectual. It was based in epistemology, just a study of uh, knowledge, uh, what knowledge mm. is, how it grows. Um, Do explain. And, yeah, it sounds very, very heady. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'm sitting. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting really uh, uh, authoritatively on the cover there, judging you and your explanation. Yeah. Um, no, but it it it, it um. It went from that, which, which actually, I, I think I have a might, yeah, I have an explanation for why I was so into that in particular, and it was emotionally driven. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that has evolved more and more into the type of conversations we're having now, and, and go, I, I've, uh, I've gotten the question like, why would you want? Why would you go on a podcast like Joe's and fucking? cry your eyes out or say that you're fucking suicidal or like all these things that that sounds awful to do why would you want to show people that at all right and Mm -hmm. i have just i i think i'm trying to make the content that i would have wanted when i was 20 and feeling Uh so fucking put out and not able to feel right Right. and so it's 
kind of content made for that guy and for anyone yeah. like him. And so I really want to, and it's a side effect of like having this conversation right now. I'm just, there's nothing I would rather do in this particular moment. So it's not like yeah. I'm doing yeah. it for someone else. Mo I want to do this. Itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I'm really fucking enjoying it. And a side effect yeah. of that is hopefully showing anyone, but I guess men in particular, I guess British mm -hmm. men then might be my, my, uh, uh, <laughs> your niche, <laughs> my true key fan. Yeah, my niche without me knowing right. it. But, but right. to show men that, dude, you, it's, it's, you know, the class, it's not weak to cry. It's not weak to show emotion. Yeah. Uh, you, you there's another type of strength on the other end of that and i've never felt more like a force to be reckoned with bro than mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. when i can tear up in the blink of an eye watching a disney movie i fucking <laughs> love it dude i just yeah so that's uh, uh, what, um, with, with the with the same on that front yeah and it's it's you know it's yeah. it's so it's fucking liberating when you can yes. be in that kind of situation and and you know there may be these positive side effects and i kind of i would say the same like I, the stuff that i'm doing i wish that i'd had when i was in my early 20s but i'd be doing yeah. it i'd be doing it anyway because it, i feel more free i feel more alive and more yes. connected and i have closer relationships that feel real and i'm not trying to like be some fake person or be or hide behind some persona yeah. and and that yeah. really is like the juice for me and as I mentioned, I think in our little Twitter thread, um, I just got out of this three day shadow work retreat. And a big part mm. of that was like going into what they called the darker types or the dark archetypes and like using mm. role play or ritual theater to kind of express these these parts that we really judge in other people. But we we obviously have them in ourselves. And 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 at the beginning of the exercise, I'm like, why would I ever go into my like resentful self-pity or my my violent destroyer? Yeah. Like, like, like what? <laughs> and then and yeah. then you do it. <laughs> and you feel like, whoa, there's so much like power, there's so much aliveness, yeah. there's the, all of this stuff that I just didn't want to feel because I was judging it. Um yeah. and and I think there's just so much there. And I I've honestly felt so like alive and light and and my partner and I have felt very connected. These like last three or four days since since that retreat. Mm -hmm. And I think it just speaks to the stuff that we're, the stuff that we judge, the stuff that we're afraid to go into or feel. It's it's actually where the most life force is. It's where like the most yeah. trapped, repressed energy. And I really felt this the first time that I allowed myself to go into anger. This was during yes. the breathwork journey. And, and, you know, for the previous like 15 years, I was like, I'm just, I'm just not an angry person. You know, I'm pretty chill. Yes. Pretty calm. <laughs> I don't freak out. Like I just, just go with the flow. And, and through this journey, this like, ra this like Hulk emerged <laughs> and this rage yeah. came <laughs> And I was like, whoa, where did, where did that come from? And, and my, I remember whoa. my, my breathwork teacher, Ed, who I, I've interviewed on my podcast as well. He, he said the words, you are loved in your anger. And I just like broke yeah. into tears. I just completely broke down. Oh, and I was beautiful. like, wow, I've, yeah. I've never allowed myself to feel anger because subconsciously I, I thought it made me a bad person. I thought like only, only bad, like weak people go into anger. And, yeah. and, and obviously since then I've learned to kind of like really feel it and feel the power there and feel like the, the capacity to set boundaries and to stand up for myself, stand up for what would I believe and not blame it yeah. at or direct it at other people, but just express it as like raw energy. 
So yeah, that's. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, like, yeah I, I love like, it. Man. As you can tell, like I'm really, I'm, I'm fired up by this because I think it's so. And yeah. honestly, like, like many of my like friends and people I see in the world, I think repressed anger, particularly in men, is is such yeah. a big. It's just, it's just, a, it's just a thing. Like it's something that needs to be talked about yep. more. Yeah. So my initial comment was going to be like I was, uh, I was just rocking. Uh, in my chair here nodding because uh, I've had exactly the same experience with, with anger. I, and I, I'm sure you uh, heard that in the the Joe episode with yeah. my wife. Like she she did, she could she wanted to go there. I, mm-hmm. I was so afraid of that, but it was such a such a liberation. But uh mm-hmm. but also the um paradoxically sounding the compassion that can grow from being able to express your anger like i'm much more compassionate after reconciling with my inner killer Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and that sounds paradoxical to people i think many people are uh, besides being afraid of uh yeah being a bad person also thinking Mm -hmm. that if i if i truly allow that stuff to be felt i'll actually that's the yeah. same as as me gonna. I'm gonna hurt people. I'm gonna become this angry Hulk Miller forever, and I'm not gonna go, to, go back to Bruce Banner, right? Uh-huh. Um, but um, I I really want to um, uh, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna break the conversational flow here and say let's let's uh, save some of that good stuff to later because I I want to hear okay. all about specifics um, of the retreat there because I'm I'm extremely fascinated by it what you wrote on Twitter sure. so far, but, sure. um, but so I want to start with, uh, start with 40 minutes in <laughs> so it's the intro guys. Yeah. This so is going to be a six, six hour conversation. To... <laughs> <laughs> it could be for sure. I've got all day. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. Uh, my wife would kill me, but uh, she's not watching TV. We live in such a small little shoebox here, so she's not allowed to do anything fun uh, while we're talking. Here. But um, yeah, so so okay, Johnny, I I, I want to start with going more into breathing and and I guess somatic working with the body more generally, um, mm-hmm. but breathing and breath work is probably where I am most underdeveloped, both in my um, understanding and my explicit practice so um i would like to hear your take on uh yeah first of all why because i think i've heard somewhere that you used to be more into meditation and and then you found yeah body work and then you were like fuck meditation that's weak shit let's go into the <laughs> the real stuff uh, i'm exaggerating of course but but something to that uh-huh. extent and and i've that's actually somewhere where we differ where i've been mm-hmm. deeply into somatics now for three years that's been the only thing i've done basically and now right. recently fallen into and gotten back to some uh type of um non-dual uh, meditation stuff that i'm now like yeah. oh my fucking god now this uh-huh. is the this is the shit, um, is shit. so so yeah so no i, I they complement each other uh, exceptionally well i would say but yeah. but so yeah what what's uh what's your relationship to to uh somatic work breath work why is it um so powerful and important and then we can go into uh specifics 
Yeah. So yeah, this is a really great thread. And um, you know, I don't want to dismiss a like four thousand year old <laughs> practice. <laughs> <laughs> um and, and I actually just got Do back it. from it. I did a, a two week um meditation retreat that was we were meditating like fifteen, sixteen hours a day straight for, for ten oh, days. Um so I and I got a huge amount out of that. And and actually it's that retreat started to blend the two for me in a really interesting way. Um, which I, I can get into in, in a moment. But <clears throat> I think, yeah, I, I'd, I'd say for me that the the somatic side and specifically breath, I think is is just a much more effective like bridge in. And it's certainly a more, it's more, it's a more efficient lever if your initial mm -hmm. goal is to feel more grounded and feel more calm, which I think for many people getting into meditation, like that's, it's really what they're yeah. kind of aiming, they're, they're just looking to feel good, right? <clears throat> and yeah. When when we are <clears throat> trying to change our thoughts or using meditation or even like affirmations or reframing, we're essentially like using the mind to change the mind. And mm. if we go in through the, the the avenue of the breath, let's say um say say you have a longer exhale. So it's like inhaling for four, exhaling for eight. So the, the exhale is twice as long as the inhale then that will very quickly send, there's a part of your brain that's basically spying on the way that you breathe. It will pick that up, it will send <laughs> signals to your nervous system, which will activate the parasympathetic branch, which then sends signals to the endocrine system, which which changes the, your blood chemistry, like it changes the hormones that are flowing through your body. And that then comes back into your brain and you just find yourself having calmer thoughts and calmer feelings really quickly, you know, within like two or three minutes. And so, yeah. and, and, and in that place, you know, meditation is much more conducive. You're not trying to fight your mind anymore. So, so I, I'm really yeah. a big fan of, of this style of breath work where you can essentially like upshift or downshift your nervous system. It's almost like a remote control. Like there's, there's breathing practices mm -hmm. you can do to feel more energized, to feel more alive. And then there's breathing practices you can do to feel more calm and feel more grounded. <clears throat> and I think kind of being aware of that is it's just a super helpful toolkit to have whether you're whether you want to use it you know before meditation or just throughout the day like if you feel ungrounded or you get triggered or you feel stressed like learning how to self-regulate without relying on external substances or whether it's like mm -hmm. caffeine or drugs or alcohol you know whatever people go to i think it's such yeah, a good um, important tool yeah good shit right <laughs> like it's such an important <laughs> toolkit for um for self-regulation and, and therefore for like greater agency and, and in my experience i feel more confidence and more conviction to go into challenging scary vulnerable situations knowing that i yeah. have this kind of toolkit in my back pocket and, and and the and the other two pieces that go with this i think are building interoception which is which is basically somatic awareness it's like awareness of your body aware, awareness of your sensations awareness of tension um and then the the fourth piece is what we were talking about earlier which is the emotional fluidity piece and and you know sometimes self-regulation or breathing practice can be used to avoid feeling something and there are certain times where like that might be great like you might be in a work meeting or you might be on a train and it might not be it just might not be appropriate to go into some kind of like emotional process in which case great like yeah. self-regulate calm down ground and then when you get home when you're in a safe space then you know allow the emotion to, to come through so I, I think mm. this toolkit is is such a kind of like i'm just annoyed that it's not taught in schools or just you know shared more widely 
um, because <laughs> right, it's, it's yeah. made such a big difference in my life and particularly in my relationships and in in my in my partnership and marriage with kelly i just yeah. both of us having access to these cool tools mean that we can communicate and relate so much more yeah. easily i guess um so so that that's like i guess that's a primer to the the kind of self-regulation side of breathwork and then there's another yeah. side of breathwork which is the more like the holotropic the conscious connected breathing which yeah. is more designed as a excavation exactly it's like a bridge into the subconscious to bring up our shit to bring up you know the the tensions the traumas the the incomplete reflexes to allow them to be completed and to be integrated and that that's a yeah. very different style of breathing with a different purpose and intention but i think they're both they're both really powerful in their own way that's uh that's a very nice summary i love that and and it's somewhat analogous to me i think to uh the difference between uh using meditation as a as a stress reduction or mm-hmm. as the end uh, of suffering like it, it, it's a quite big uh, difference mm, yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, take a deep exactly. breath, calm down, or like, okay, I'm going to face uh, trauma from infancy when, you know. Um, so that that's really cool. And maybe actually I can frame it a little bit uh, because as I explained before my curiosity is very selfishly driven here. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Um I, I've never been able to use breath in a in a good way, so I, I'm really gonna take advantage mm-hmm. of you as a, like you said, a free coaching session there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're not sure. getting away, Johnny, until I've uh, <laughs> solved all my problems. No, but um, so my, my issue was essentially a, a rough start in terms. So I was born several weeks too early, and I was put in a. Um, I actually don't know. Incubator? Is that what mm-hmm. it's called? Yep. yep. To Incubators. help me breathe or something like that. And mm. I'm not well read up on uh, the theory behind these things, but I, I, I find it quite reasonable. I heard someone uh, with some authority on the topic say that that's one of the, that's like peak trauma for your nervous system, essentially not mm. to have, to have, mm. uh, another, to be able to co- uh, co-regulate with, with, your, yeah, with, with your, your mother, or with your parent. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, right. and then put on top of that a, uh, and, and I also want to stress that I had somewhat of a, you know, quote unquote, normal upbringing too, in terms of external circumstances. Uh, mm-hmm. But my father was so emotionally constipated himself mm-hmm. that uh, he shunned any, like a- any expression of emotion, which was my mom, uh, who he mm-hmm. didn't treat very well uh, when she was expressing emotion. I internalized that if I'm ever sad or angry, whatever I show, whatever emotion, um, or have my own wants, that's a big one, like if my wants yeah. are not what dad wants, uh, then I won't be loved. I won't get the safety that I need. Something like that. That That's uh, my, the conclusions I've drawn. And uh, then at 19, fast forward, all of this, none of this stuff got any better. And then at 19, I had a, a I, I would call it a big T trauma event. Um, mm-hmm. 
And this is another thing where I've come to think about it, not in terms of what the event was itself, but also what your what you brought into the event that made you either susceptible or resilient to to the external stimulus there. And yeah, of course. Because uh, a big problem I had for a long time until recently, and probably still have some of it because I really feel like I want to explain to you <laughs> why this was <laughs> harrowing for me, mm. Um, mm. was that I w wouldn't admit to myself that this was horrible for me. Uh, so, you know, all the excuses of, oh, but I've had a good childhood, who am I to complain, you know, toughen up all those things. Uh, mm -hmm. But so what happened was I smoked cannabis with my then girlfriend and we smoked way too much and i was at the time i had spent the last three years obsessively working out trying to get as buff as possible i'm very <laughs> naturally skinny and that was a real that was the best way for me to literally um shield myself build <laughs> armor so that i could constrict <laughs> emotion even more <laughs> right and so my nervous system wasn't in a good place to begin with uh, because of a lot of overtraining and bad sleep and bad food and, and, and all of that. And so smoked way too much, uh, had the most blissful time of my life laying in bed with my girl. And then I had just in a flick of a switch, I went from, oh, this is fucking amazing to, uh, oh, wait, is this uncomfortable? And then it just turned into this... Um, you know, like in movies when a nuclear plant, when the alarm turns on and everything turns red and it's just, you know, mm. it was fucking harrowing, man. And it went on. Mm. I had a panic attack for the first time ever and I had it for, as I remember it, three hours straight. And I, mm. I, I wasn't able to express any of, I wanted to be tough in front of my girlfriend and I had all of this history of, if you show any emotion, you won't be loved yeah. and safe. And that's, yeah, the last yeah. thing I wanted there, right? So the way, language. yeah, exactly. And so the way I yeah. I explain it to myself without, uh, yeah, the metaphor I use is like a, the string of my nervous system, like the sympathetic fight flight was just fucking tightened as tight mm -hmm. as could be. And then it didn't release after that. Um, mm -hmm. And so after that, I don't remember this. I actually spoke to my ex-girlfriend a few years back and got this information. But afterwards, apparently... Uh, I, I, pu I, I threw up for, um, many hours from, from shock, I guess. And, uh, a lot of my somatic work now in the aftermath t always turns into like these extremely intense dry heaving, um, mm -hmm. yeah, reliving of that, I assume, uh, or like screaming, no, 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 help me. I don't want to go. I don't want to go insane. That was a big part of it. Like, I don't want to oh, lose wow. my mind. I don't want to die, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. So so I've been in extreme sympathetic, like disassociation, depersonalization, like a sympathetic hyperdrive um, most yep. of my 20s after that. And so for me, talk therapy was not the way to go. Like, this, this has been such a physically ingrained problem that like mm -hmm. when I found somatics, it's like you said, when, when I used to meditate, it was just so much thoughts and so many things looping around there because there was so much emotion and so much, you know, uh, yep. pent up energy, like you said. And, and so the somatics have been the only way that I've been starting to heal now. Um, mm. 
thanks for uh for holding space for that <laughs> I, re <laughs> I really appreciate yeah. it yeah breathing wise what um if we start generally what is the right way i i hesitate to say that but what what's like the healthy way to breathe for a human being who's not in a, a stressful situation like what's the healthy way to breathe when you're mm -hmm. just yeah sitting doing a podcast or or going about your day and where do people fall short there yeah sure maybe before we go there i'd love to like backtrack briefly and um just share what, like kind of your story but through the lens of what's known as polyvagal theory which i imagine you, you might have come across but it might be new for yes no i would love that yeah so um what what you basically described is, is going into that sympathetic like fight flight and then then getting stuck there basically and mm. through this lens of polyvagal theory which is um a theory from dr stephen porge if, if listeners want to want to look it up it basically mm. says that the nervous system has three branches there is the the sympathetic and then there are two branches of the parasympathetic and those mm. two branches are ventral and dorsal and, and basically what what that means is that the dorsal is like it's like the handbrake or it's like the fuse when there's too much energy in in the nervous system almost like like you know too many watts going through a, a circuit the, yeah. the dorsal fuse will like kick in and it just like shuts us down it's like it's the state where we collapse it's the state where we freeze it's the state where we go mm. inwards where you know it's just we can't take what's happening or it's been happening for so long that we just like yeah. collapse and and this is it, it's really common for you know, many of us to spend a long period of time in that kind of sympathetic overdrive, the, the overwhelm where we feel anxious, we feel panic, angry, etc. And then yeah. something will, will, will switch and then we'll, we'll drop down into dorsal and, you know, we might get depressed. We might like just be disassociated, check yeah. out of our bodies, etc. Right. And, and this kind of like, like ping ponging between the two can, can happen for, you know, a long period of time. And what polyvagal theory says which which I, I agree with through my own lived experience is that w what we need to do essentially is build back that ventral vagal tone and, and the ventral break is essentially our sense of safety it's our like social engagement system it's mm. it's a way of titrating down into rest without like pulling on the handbrake so it's like the foot brake if you imagine your car's going along like you want to be able to just like you know tap the foot brake occasionally <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just to kind of, to kind of slow, <laughs> slow yourself down and and people that yeah, don't yeah. have access to, to the ventral maybe because of lack of safety maybe because of reasons in childhood etc they will often yeah. use substances to, as to act as a replacement for that ventral break you know alcohol is a great a great example cannabis sometimes as well because it allows right. people to feel calm because they don't have access to the you know the, the body's inherent mechanisms for for finding that state so a big maybe, maybe part i should of this try work, cannabis <laughs> 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 so so to, to tie it back to the breath um, by breathing in certain uh, certain ways and practices, we're essentially training the ventral break to come online in the way that it should, in the way that it's designed to. Um, mm. and, and there's other practices as well as breath work, um, kind of uh, cold plunges like yoga asana stretches can kind of help with this. And, and things that create a sense of embodied safety is how I put it. Not yeah. just like intellectually, like knowing, you know, I'm not going to die, but like a yeah, sense yeah. of like my body feels safe. And yeah. usually when our body feels safe, we're able to breathe down into our like our lower belly and in even our pelvic floor sometimes. Like the breath goes all the way down. 
and yeah. when it accesses these these parasympathetic neurons there is this felt sense of safety which is usually associated with like like a sigh response you know if you've had like a busy day you come home you sit on the couch you're like ah oh, like you just yeah. feel that like oh, <laughs> like oh thank god like that relaxation yeah. and it is the body's being like oh i'm safe i can like relax i can let go i can i can drop mm. this and so the breathing practices are just like ways of consciously activating that mechanism yeah so so i, I want to refine my question a little bit then i guess and um and uh and actually i i i've heard of polyvagal theory but i i didn't know the specifics so i i really appreciate any theory behind any of this somatic stuff because it, it's kind of all intuitive to me like i know how to do it but mm -hmm. I, I i don't know much of what the latest science or or, or good explanations are are for it mm -hmm. so, so i love hearing that um but so yeah so for instance i've tried um i was into boteco breathing yep i think it's called yep. for a while mm -hmm. and um essentially what i got from that was uh mouth breathing is bad <laughs> the guy I was listening to in particular <laughs> said it was basically the the um, the uh, causal uh, mechanism of all our problems in life, basically. So, uh, so maybe yeah. So I, I, I find that slightly in in the sense of like like mouth breathing is like fifth gear. Like you don't want to be walking around in fifth gear all the time, but there are mm. moments like if you're working out intensely or you're sprinting, you know, you you want to be able to access it. It's like part of the dynamic range. But you also mm. don't want to be revving the engine in fifth gear twenty four seven because you'll exhaust yourself. Right. So that's like a slight a slight reframe. Yeah, no, I like that. That's interesting. I okay, so I don't want to get too far afield, but I I've noticed that when I switch to nose breathing during my uh, strength training workouts, mm -hmm. I recovered much faster between sets. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Which I was blown away by. It's hard to do the first few times because you're not used to being uh -huh. out of air in that way. But uh, yeah. do you have a quick mm -hmm. explanation for the mechanism behind that? Yeah. So, so briefly, um, when you're nose breathing and working out, the CO2 buildup happens a lot more rapidly. And counterintuitively, when we have more carbon dioxide in our system, even though it might feel like we need to breathe, there is more oxygen going into our muscles and going into our bloodstream by via what's known as the Bohr effect. And so mm. while it can take a while to build up that CO2 tolerance, it actually, in the, and, and there's professional athletes kind of tapping into this recently as well, like it really does increase our recovery because there's more oxygenation going to the muscles and the blood vessels because of that mm. increase in CO2. And so a, a big part of um, this training is actually increasing your CO2 tolerance, um, which right. you know, has a number of different health benefits. And then people who have tendencies towards panic attacks tend to also have very low CO2 tolerance. So, you know, even if they get to the end of their exhale, they immediately feel this like gasp reflex or this like, <gasps> like right. this, need to, this need to breathe. And so that's why things like Bateka breathing, Patrick McEwen's oxygen advantage, a lot of that is focused around like increasing your CO2 tolerance. That's fascinating, man. Okay, and, and so um, if we go back to normal breathing patterns, like the, mm -hmm. most of your day, I would assume that most people's issue would be uh, tension and restriction, perhaps around mm -hmm. the diaphragm, but other places as well, not being able to uh, go all the way down 
to deep belly breathing or pelvic breathing, as you mentioned there. And um, thus the, the breath is more shallow and um, yeah. What, what, um, what, what was the best way to repattern that besides consciously doing different type of breathing exercises? Like what would you say is the mm -hmm. way back to more, a more natural and, and healthy breathing pattern? Mm. Yeah, that's that's a big question, and yeah. that <laughs> okay. question it's it, it's what um my my teacher Ed and I you know we had like a two hour conversation around this exact question. It's it's the, uh, the kind okay. of the the principle of breath repatterning, um, but mm. to, to give like a brief like teaser or overview. Yeah, yeah, um, it, I can he, link he to that about, episode as well. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so he talks about us having actually three diaphragms for breathing. There's the there's the pelvic floor, which are kind of like intertwined muscle sheets. There's the main mm -hmm. diaphragm in the ribcage that most people are familiar with. And then there's the diaphragm of the throat and the vocal cords. And so mm. often we will have tension in these different three areas. And and the the idea is not like breathing in like the one perfect way, but actually increasing the range and dynam dynamism of breath that we're able to access kind of moment to moment so that the breath responds appropriately to the situation like that's really what we're going for yeah, is, is like yeah. that flexibility that like anti-fragility that that dynamism for the environment and so in in terms of like repatterning the breath um what what i see in people i work with is often the breath like you say will be only in the upper chest maybe it'll be shallow like then re it's really not going down into the lower diaphragm and certainly not into like the pelvic floor mm. and so generally a good starting point is just um, just belly breathing and sometimes lying on the back, putting like a, a few books or maybe a kind of like a three kilo weight um, on the belly just to feel some resistance and breathing up mm. into that space and then just letting it fall effortlessly. So the breath comes up into the belly and then it's like, <sighs> you can even do it with your hands. Just place your hands there. Let the breath, uh, the belly will expand on the inhale and then, then it <sighs> like drops on the exhale. And that's that's a really good starting point. And then from there, as I think they talk about in, in Bateco, <clears throat> um, getting, getting the breath up and, and the ribs actually, or the intercostal muscles actually expand out to the sides. So it's not just like forward in and out, but there's actually kind of like an expansion movement. And, and the, the other thing that's often overlooked is breathing more into the back. So you can, you can try this right now, or listeners can try this as you're, as you're listening to us. But if you sit up straight, it helps if you have someone put put their hand on kind of in between your shoulder blades, but you can probably feel it. If you just breathe in, but you bring your attention and your awareness to the back of your body, you should be able to feel your your back kind of expanding slightly and the breath will go into the back of the lungs, into kind of the back of the, the chest yeah. cavity. And there's actually a lot more spaciousness here. There's a lot more like aliveness and sometimes energy. You know, people can feel lightheaded sometimes the first time they try this. And we, we often habitually breathe just into the front of our bodies. So kind of opening up the access to the back brings more aliveness. It also kind of brings more receptivity. We're kind of like receiving as opposed to like bringing our energy or attention yeah. forwards. Um, so that's, that's a piece. Um, you touched on nose breathing, which, you know, generally throughout the day, especially at night, breathing through the nose is... Uh, makes a big difference i use mouth tape in the evenings um, yeah i've I, tried my, that my partner might do as well yeah that, oh, that really okay, helps cool. <laughs> especially if you have like sleep apnea or you snore it's it's really yeah. helpful yeah um and then and then in terms of the repatterning, um whilst i think kind of 
having you know a 10 20 minute practice each day can help to to create shifts over time i think the the most effective mechanism for repatterning is to use something like conscious connected breathing to create that altered state where the the nervous system is more neuroplastic so it's not just the brain that's yeah. neuroplastic but the the nervous system and the body is neuroplastic and as we release these tension patterns or these these you know these traumas these like trapped emotions there is more freedom and and as a practitioner you can see the breath changing after these releases and and a way yeah. that we know something's integrated is like like has it stuck in their breath like was their breath previously right. only like mm. in the upper part of their lungs and then yeah. suddenly they have greater access and you know you can really see it in the belly you see there's like less muscle tone there um so that's 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 the way that i primarily kind of help to repattern breathing but but generally speaking like if you're able to like emotional fluidity is also breath repatterning yes the, the more yes. the more dynamism and range that we have in our emotions the more that that yeah. will be mirrored in our breath and if our breath is very rigid and stagnant and we only have access to a narrow range then our emotional life will probably be similar yeah I mean, that's, that's basically where I wanted you to go because <laughs> that's, uh, no, but uh, that's the, that's the punchline. <laughs> yeah. It's, but it's a similar, I assume a similar principle to like the, the, the body is self-healing and the nervous system is very smart, mm -hmm. wants to go back to homeostasis. And, exactly. uh, so if you, if you find a way to stop repressing, your body knows what to do with that, um, mm -hmm. Uh, it's like getting out of the way and trusting the wisdom of yeah. the nervous system is how i yeah. put it it's like it, it once it feels safe once it feels like like okay i can relax then these it's almost like layers of an onion you know these things start yes. to arise and it's like yeah. ah okay like that's that's good and then the next one comes up and it, you just go right I, I think it's probably an infinite onion <laughs> as far as yeah I'm, no that's uh, actually uh, an interesting uh, question I usually use the, the Russian doll metaphor rather than the onion, mm -hmm. but it's the same idea, mm -hmm. right? But I've also yep. been using the metaphor that um, you're emptying out a well of uh, unfelt emotion or, or, or mm -hmm. something like that. And that, I guess, mm -hmm. implies that there's an end to that. <laughs> That's the, mm -hmm. There's a finite, finite amount of at least... Um, stuck emotional memory that's waiting to come up uh mm. but uh but i i guess i'm not as interested in whether you can fully uh, get rid of it or whether you know if i can get to uh the majority of it so I, I i feel a clear difference i guess i'm i'm happy with that and i'm able to respond now to uh, whatever's going to happen in my life, which is inevitably going to be emotionally stressful at times and not mm -hmm. store up any additional technical debt, as I usually mm -hmm. uh, call it. Mm -hmm. um, emotional debt. So it becomes yeah, yeah cum cumulative yeah. over time and just until it starts wreaking havoc uh, <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> totally. The most clear marker that I've had, I think, in my own emotional journey is my... Uh, my laugh like i feel mm -hmm. both my ability to laugh and how quick i am to laughter but also yeah. the depth like it feels i don't know if you used to listen to alan watts i'm sure you have right uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah. yeah and his laugh you know the deep belly laugh i wouldn't claim to be all the way at his wonderful <laughs> level but that that's oh. um that's something where i feel like i'm really free oh. when i laugh it's deep in my beautiful my, 
my belly and my whole organism in a nice way. Right. I love that you mentioned that. Um, I actually, after one of my, uh, the plant medicine ceremonies, I wrote a short story that was called The Boy Who Lost His Laugh and Traveled Into His Belly to Find It. <laughs> oh, that's great! Ba- basically, been like my experience, and then after oh, these ceremonies, so or, cool. or like, or after breathwork, when I'm in this very open state, yeah, it, it's like it's like my laugh actually changes. It's it becomes this like yes. deep, like earthy kind of warrior yeah. laugh, and I'm all like, yeah, whoa, exactly. like, where did that yeah, come yeah, from? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I I completely agree. There's there's some someone says something along the lines of like, you can tell how advanced the spiritual teacher is by the depth of their laugh or something like that oh, and it's, I, I think it's that, actually man. true like you yeah. can really tell like it does someone have access to like the the depths and like the underbelly of of that laugh and does it come naturally because if not then they're probably not <laughs> looking at something yeah <laughs> would be, would yeah be, would be my guess yeah absolutely and i mean tabling the uh deep dive into meditation which would be really fun to do as well sometime uh Mm -hmm. i think that you the insights to be gleaned from meditation and from uh yeah more therapeutic modalities or emotional work or stuff like that although i think maybe in the limit they they kind of converge there uh Mm -hmm. you can have a full-on head awakening uh the way Mm -hmm. i think and think about it and define it and and still being repressed as shit when it comes to a lot of emotional stuff and be super totally. contracted and and those things and that's why yeah. the heart and gut awakening is so important if you want to be truly integrated and 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 uh yeah reach true yeah. buddhahood i i, I guess uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah Buddha. which is why i i think we have you know you hear about these like these scandals of supposedly awakened yes. Zen teachers that then sleep <laughs> yeah. with their students. And you're like, wait, yeah. like there's something, <laughs> something not quite right here. Yeah. And, and I think that you can have these you know, experiences of non-duality, but still have a lot of un, unresolved trauma kind of still yep. in, in the body. Um, Absolutely. And, and so, something that I witnessed in the meditation retreat was, was actually how different thought patterns correlated to different patterns of tension in my body. And it was really interesting mm. to see. And, and, and you know, my, my guess is like, or my hypothesis is a working definition of, of like enlightenment is this like almost tensionless state where we don't feel any, any tension in our body. Um, mm. At least that's something that I've been kind of feeling into and, and through meditation, using it to explore areas where the, the, the energy or the kind of, um, the concentration doesn't want to go to you know, areas that might feel numb or that might feel contracted or there's some kind of resistance there. Um, so, so really my meditation practice became more of a somatic exploration. Yeah. That I went. Beautiful. Okay. So your somatic practice, uh, what, what kind of modalities do you have experience with there? Um, I've, I'm a bit of a junkie, oh. <laughs> I've quite a few, nice. uh, I've, I've had sessions in somatic experiencing, um, mm. and I, I'd say breathwork has been the main one. And what I love yep. about breathwork is there's really no need for any story. Like sometimes, sometimes you can go through a huge 
experience or release and there's just no story at all sometimes memories arise sometimes i have a sense of like oh it's connected to this time that i was bullied yeah. at school or that time my father said this thing or you know whatever it is but it, it really it's kind of irrelevant like <laughs> the body yeah. just yeah. does its thing and it's so refreshing because i don't need to understand it i don't need to know what's going on i just know that something is completing and healing and and, and you know for, for the for the incomplete reflexes between the ages of like naught and two when we were pre-verbal there really wouldn't be a story because we didn't know how to speak <laughs> at that time right. um so so i think i think that's breathwork has been probably the main one for me um yeah. and then i i've also become increasingly curious about like internal family systems part work parts yeah. work and <laughs> and this this kind of like like shadow shadow work <clears throat> to kind of put yeah. a label on it and using um using role play using kind of creating scenes or, or, or like getting to relive certain experiences through that and and like embodying the the aspects of self or like inviting in the parts of self that are typically exiled or pushed away yeah in a somatic way so you're not so you're not just like intellectually saying the yeah thing, right like feeling right. like like i am this right now that's a good point and uh, oftentimes, I mean, many of these practices bleed into each other and either they're mm -hmm. um, different angles uh, to get at the same thing or they complement each other nicely. I know that uh, for anyone, I would say, who's somewhat somatically experienced in um, yeah, sober states and uh, then tries to do something like MDMA uh, introspection or something like that can, can really attest mm -hmm. to the power oh, yeah. of uh, somatic IFS uh, as a modality. Oh, totally. um, yeah. But okay, that's interesting. I didn't hear uh, uh, TRE. Are you familiar with uh, what that is? Yes. It's trauma release exercises, I believe it stands for. Yes. Um, so, so yeah, I've, I've come across that. And also Hakomi, I have a lot of respect for. I have friends who've trained in Hakomi. And the way that they speak about it and the kind of importance of touch and co-regulation as part of the experience, I, I really like. Mm -hmm. um, but there's, I mean, there's, there's, there's also EMDR kind of tapping. There's, yeah. there's I know, I, I know there's, there's Doug's bio, bioemotive processing. I think there's many yep. different like names and labels. Um, right. And I've tried quite a few of them. Um, and I, you know, somatic experiencing is probably the most well-known. And yep. I like that it's, you know, it's made accessible because people do practice it via Zoom. And I also think mm -hmm. that there's something that is to be gained from being in person and, you know, literally co-regulating with another nervous system in the room that they can draw resource and energy from. Yeah. So I do like my, my preference would be to kind of do this work in person with a trauma aware, well, highly skilled practitioner. But, oh, you know, if that's, that's not available... If that's not available, then somatic experiencing or, or TRE via Zoom, then I think can also be definitely beneficial. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I feel like listening to you, it feels like you've done it. Um, yeah. In a smarter way, I would say, than how I've attempted to do it. Uh, mostly out of desperation and uh, mm -hmm. uh, maybe not, not having the financial means at the time. Here, it's sure. like to go to sure. a somatic which, therapist. Which is a, a, a constraint for a lot of people, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's very real. Because, I mean, I would actually love to do that. I've been with a practitioner a handful of times, but the reason I, I call myself a somatic release black belt, <laughs> whether it's accurate <laughs> or not, it's uh -huh. all in the modality of um, started out with TRE 
okay. went to a workshop and for people who don't know uh it's like you said trauma release exercises i think it was designed for the military um for people to 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 use who didn't have access to therapy and were in very mm-hmm. highly stressful and, and traumatic situations and it's basically a way uh it's a series of exercises that are designed to and here's where I would like to draw on your expertise for for explaining what's going on in a in a reasonable way. But uh, hmm. uh, you activate this inbuilt. I, I usually call it like an inbuilt massage chair that you have in your nervous system, but it, it's it's underplaying <laughs> the importance of it. But um, you can uh-huh. activate these uh, this unconscious program that. The way it feels is like it scans through your body. It knows where you're tense and where where you need to release tension. And and the deeper you get into this, the more you can go into the uh, really deep emotional uh, layers of that onion we were talking about. Um, And so 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 the exercises, and then then you shake out and you you regulate. You learn to disperse this uh, trapped emotional energy, and then then you can. basically heal uh move towards uh healing and and the parasympathetic sympathetic balance in your nervous system and so i've used the exercises but i wouldn't say that i do tre quote unquote anymore because i never use the exercises but Mm -hmm. uh over time i've learned kind of like in the same way where you can look at your hand right now and then you're like okay close and then you close it and hmm. like, how the fuck hmm. did i do that okay i know how to <laughs> right. do it i yeah. couldn't for the life of me explain it i i can at any yeah. point in time now start this uh system and just start uh-huh. like pr- processing and like you yeah. said over time it's it's become much less verbal it was a, a lot of memories and and parts work and stuff like that before but now it's almost entirely mm-hmm. physical uh and, yep. and emotional and uh yep. So, so I, I think I try to calculate. I think I've been at least at this point at least a thousand hours, where a lot of those hours are, you know, really reliving. For instance, that that traumatic uh, traumatic event that I explained before, and mm. like uh, it's fascinating because when you reach the point wow, of that... emotional regulation, where there is a danger here that if you go too uh, too quick, too fast, then you you can overwhelm yourself and not know how to ground yourself, right? But once you get Absolutely. comfortable with, like, I would describe it as loving yourself or, or, you know, embracing any emotion, any part of yourself without judgment, and you can just be <laughs> lovingly aware of whatever's arising there, um, hmm. then you, <laughs> the level hmm. of intensity that you can muster without any problem there uh, – mm-hmm. quite amazing so but but what i wanted to say there was what i'm worst at and what i've always been uh worst at is the um the coming down from it like uh Mm. having a good integration afterwards and and really sinking back into turning off Mm. the sympathetic fight flight and uh i've many many times the reason i think i've spent so so many hours doing it and i still have stuff left is uh-huh. I think I've jumped in too heavily with uh-huh. I've been very called towards uh chemically assisted introspection to be uh uh-huh. vague yeah. here since I still am <laughs> employed in Swedish frowns on these things. Um uh I've done that a lot and I've had in really intense things come up really, really deep 
traumatic stuff and then not being able to mm-hmm. to hold it and then you take a few steps back mm-hmm. i get depersonalized for a few months and then i have to process mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah, again yeah. and yeah, so yeah. uh so that's the danger yeah. of not doing it with a with a skilled practitioner and you know in a safe manner but so so i sure. would very much like to know and after hearing you talk about holotropic breathwork being potentially quite powerful mm. and and uh, lacking in in this regard, what would be what would you say to a person like me if I came to you and I wanted help with mm. okay how do I after a powerful psychedelic journey or even a, a you know a breathwork journey how would you tell me to uh, mm. yeah get back into being grounded and settle and actually be able to integrate all the emotional yeah. stuff that's come up yeah thank you this, this is a really beautiful question uh, i have many <laughs> I have many thoughts awesome. what's actually arising for me is um firstly i think it's a beautiful impulse to like want to like what i'm hearing is like you want to kind of dive in with two feet and like go in the deep end and like feel you know feel the shit out of this thing <laughs> like you want to yes. just like like yes. feel it and and mm-hmm. i have a very similar impulse and i actually asked this this question to my my teacher on, on this recent meditation retreat saw you and he he gave me a really beautiful answer in the form of a metaphor where he was like if you have a seed like an acorn you don't want to you don't want to puncture the seed you don't want to like break it open what you want to do is like water it and, and nourish it and nurture it and when it's ready the seed will kind of open up and i think it, it's it's a very good analogy for what we're talking about here yeah where where yes we want to we want to bring our attention and our awareness to it but we we don't want to go outside of the window of tolerance as it's as it's known because when we go outside that's when we when we check out when you know there's too much energy in the system we we really want and this is why it is helpful to have someone with us is they will keep us on the on the edge or just very slightly just beyond the edge of our window of tolerance and that's Mm -hmm. where the magic happens and if we go too far then either either we just shut down and we check out or worst case it gets re-traumatized and then we have to like start the whole process again yeah um so in, in terms of i think the best theoretical um, map that i've i've come across for this is is, is like the the activation cycle and initially you know we need to kind of build energy and build awareness to, to go back into the thing we usually get into some form of sympathetic there's then a release or, or like something opens but then crucially there is an extended period of integration and relaxation and that's that's actually where the repatterning happens it's not in the release it's in the sometimes 20 to 30 minutes afterwards where we're just mm-hmm. completely relaxed and so this is why breathwork journeys at least the ones that i have been taught to to run they follow this arc where there's a you know, maybe a 30 to 45 minute kind of intensity activation. There's a peak, which is usually where you know, the crying, the expression, things happen. And then crucially, there's at least like a generally like a 45 minute, sometimes longer integration mm-hmm. and relaxation phase where you're, you're literally just doing nothing. But internally, so much is happening to yeah. repattern and to integrate this experience. And this is where I think a lot of the modalities that focus more on the peak experiences and focus more on the catharsis miss out. Like there's not that allowance for the, the integration and the parasympathetic relaxation to, to actually integrate the thing. So whilst mm. someone might have been, you know, 
blasted through the cosmos <laughs> like, like <laughs> communed with their ancestors and then come yeah. back down like <clears throat> nothing actually changes on the level of the nervous system um mm. which is why i'm wary of certain uh, particular i think wim hof is an easy example to point to um but right. holotropic depending on how it's taught but when stan groff did it i believe he, he did three hours and there was like a long integration phase but i still believe yeah. he like he like punctured people through their window of tolerance, like into the collective unconscious and people would go out and have these crazy experiences and then come back down. But I, I mean, at least my belief is that the, it's the personal healing happens when we're within or just on the edge of our own windows, which yeah. generally doesn't happen through intense huffing and puffing for like two hours <laughs> with really intense music. I mean, like I've, I've, I've sat through some holotropic sessions and the music, it's like, it's like warrior music for like two hours. It's, oh, it's quite a lot. Um, so nice. so I, I think ha having this more with conscious connected breathing, the, the principle is like a, a vibrant full inhale and then a relaxed effortless exhale. It's like the, the yang and the yin and, and having that, softness and that relaxation is is just as important maybe even more important for many of us who are kind of like chronic overachievers and like type yeah. a personalities so that you know the full inhale is easy but it's like really letting go and surrendering on the exhale and then for mm. the second half of the journey like fully letting go and just like surrendering into the experience that is is the juice and that's counterintuitively where i've i've had the most like profound like like touching god type moments where you know dmt yeah. is released from the pineal gland in that state of like complete surrender um, but it's not something that you try to get to or if you do try then your trying gets in the way of you of you experiencing that <laughs> which yeah, is frustrating yeah. for you know people like us that like want to get there and we want to do the thing um so let me follow up uh two quick things there i, I want to hear the rest um i just want to ask uh The, the the thing that you said now where you have a vigorous inhale and then you relax rather than pushing the exhale, I assume mm -hmm. you could kind of uh, cheat and do that in a holotropic breathwork session as well, right? Instead of... Absolutely. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd actually fully recommend that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that's definitely <laughs> I would what I'm going to try to do that. Yeah. Ignoring what they say. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I would do that. <laughs> Okay. Okay. That's, that's nice. And, uh, and my follow-up question would be, I, <clears throat> I'd be the first one to sign on, sign on the dotted line when it comes to, um, not pushing yourself too hard and diving in so deeply. Mm. But, mm -hmm. <clears throat> but, um, if you're in the position where I'm at right now, where, uh, I had a huge, uh, psychedelic journey, um, about nine mm. months ago. And mm -hmm. after that, it was, I punctured the largest hole in the biggest psychological defense I had, which tell me if, if this doesn't resonate or isn't interesting to you. But to me, it was very interesting that I've had problems with my posture my whole life, like the hunchback, you know, uh, you know, forward neck ugly gamer position, right? <laughs> and, and, and mm. since, really young since like maybe age 10 i've tried to consciously think about my posture and mm -hmm. you know done everything from massage therapy to chiropractic to you know physiotherapy everything in terms of manual intervention but still i could feel that when i relaxed my whole organism is pulling me into this fucking hunched position 
And mm. so I was like, okay, fuck, I've been fighting this for 20 years now. I'm going to have as my intention to look in the mirror from the side, relax into the hunch and ask myself, what is this? What am I trying not mm. to feel? You know, the Joe Hudson yeah. thing. Uh -huh. Um, uh -huh. So I got what I asked for, but it was more than I thought. And so uh, the, the end uh, idea there was extreme uh, shame. Um, yeah. Which is essentially, you know, if you felt shame turned up to a thousand on on some chemical, <laughs> it's uh, it's quite, it's literally trying to it's like hug yourself. Yeah, it's like yeah. <laughs> hugging yourself into non-existence. You're just trying not to be seen. So it's yeah. like so, but but after that, in the aftermath, I haven't been able to patch that defense in a way where it's leaking out, and I've had. Mm. Two to four hours of uh, somatic release stuff, basically every day since then. Um, oh, wow. wow. In a way where I went to a somatic practitioner and he was like, he hadn't seen that before, so he didn't really know how to work with it. And so mm. I'm I'm just curious, like, well, I feel a little bit like I'm pulling the past and no return there. And I've accepted that to some mm -hmm. extent. And I'm starting to land now in a beautiful um expanded compassionate grounded way but uh, -huh. uh how would you advise someone who's already been a little too foolish and is already uh in that space and need to help themselves regulate like what would you um recommend mm -hmm. in terms of breathing practices there oh wow yeah, if anything <laughs> So, well, I, mean, I mean, it's a big ask. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, mean yeah. I, I might be able to connect it to the breathing, but but initially, yeah. um, I would say, like, kind of as as Joe said, and this also kind of harks back to the, the shadow work stuff of like, like yes. allowing yourself to fully go into like the archetype that comes to mind that they used was like the resentful self pitier, where it's like like mm. really going into that feeling so far that I think you mentioned the word or what I heard was like annihilation where mm. you go all the way in to where you feel that like that part of the self almost mm -hmm. wants to be annihilated in yeah. some ways. It's like, it's like pulling us into that. And to the extent that we're able to um, like, like not get lost in it, I think that's the trap. It's like we don't yeah. identify with, but with this, right. we're still in the witness slightly, but we allow the thing to go all the way and to like feel what it wants to feel. There's like that yeah. part of us like wants to like go deep into the like muddy swampy pit of shame and like get to the bottom of it and to find yep. that trap door um and i think that's that's like where it's it's aiming for and then a, a kind of um well like complementary practice is through the have you heard of the alexander technique it's it's a it's yeah the expanded awareness type uh, yeah it, exactly Ashcroft, so it's right? like yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Mike, Mike yeah. and I are good friends and he's done oh, some cool. like hands-on stuff with me, but it's like, you're also allowing your awareness to be expansive at the same time. And I think that yes. for me is the most like potent combination where you're yep. aware of like the space behind you, you're aware of the space above you to the sides, but then you can still fully go into the thing that is alive and present, be yep. that like the, the, hun the hunched over. So it, it's like, it's like playing with those two and then getting out of your own way to the degree that it just does its own thing. Um, and, and, and in terms of, yeah, in terms of the breath, I'm not sure how I'd, 
how I'd connect it to that necessarily, but except to say that like, just to kind of make the connection between there are different breathing rhythms and different emotions that we might be like unafraid to feel. So, so you might find that your breath starts to go into like a really shallow or like uncomfortable thing. And, and as with the posture, just like allow that to happen without any resistance yeah. and also without yeah. any forcing into it. Cause both of them are just like, you know, they, they kind of hold the process um, yeah. and, and it does help to have, you know, at least someone may, it could be a friend, could be a partner, could be a, a therapist to help just like be with us yeah. and be like, it's okay. Like you're safe. You've yeah, got yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. Like, that, you're not those are die. the words I've told my wife to say now. Yeah, she knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're safe, baby. It's okay to feel whatever you feel. Yeah, it's sweet. Uh-huh. Um, no, that's, I, I, that's helpful. And the, uh, the expanded awareness stuff, that's kind of where I'm at with the, um, where the non-dual, the powerful, the, the power of the non-dual stuff meet the, the somatic stuff. Mm-hmm. I fully mm-hmm. agree with that. But okay, so if we narrow it then, so if somebody goes to a holotropic breathwork session, if someone mm-hmm. would ever do such a thing, and they go really intensely and then um, uh, want to come down in a nice way and integrate, what, what breathing modality or modalities would be most useful there? Um, well... Yeah, I mean, in the context of a holotropic session, mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, it's interesting because the the kind of the integration and relaxation, it's really just like, that's where you drop the technique. That's where you just like surrender and you just like allow the body to relax. Mm. And the breath will kind of, like if, you, if you're still finding yourself in a activated state, then right. bringing the breath down into the belly and just nose breathing is a good way to like downshift gears intentionally. So mm. you could even have, have a hand hand on the belly or just kind of arms out either side, like mm. gently belly breathing into the nose and you'll feel your uh, your body start to downshift. And what can be really helpful are, are like intentional size or Andrew Huberman calls them physiological size. That's like the oh, scientific. Oh, wait, is, is that the... La- uh... Label. <sighs> yeah, like the I, you in, don't have in... to do... You don't have to do the double inhale. It's just like a full inhale and then... <sighs> It's, it's like that just and you can make sound you cannot make sound but but like that helps to that, like that's really efficient at helping to drop and then that should right. help the breath go into the belly um through through the nose and you know it's it's like each each sigh sometimes they'll happen naturally sometimes you might do it yourself that will just like help to kind of like drop the tone of the nervous system like step by step and you know after a big experience that might take 20 minutes you know it, it might be a lot for your system to to be able to downshift in that way um, yeah or also if you're in a group setting you know asking one of the facilitators to just give you some you know hands on touch or like maybe they put their hands on your on your feet to help ground or mm. um or, or on your belly as well and that touch can also bring safety which then the body yeah. naturally responds to is like oh okay i'm safe i can relax yeah no i like that I think one of the propositions that I would defend the hardest in terms of its truth value at this Mm -hmm. stage would be something like, you know, the, um, uh, the book, the body keeps the score or Mm -hmm. the body slash brain keeps the score in terms of of, of trauma and would overwhelm. Uh, but I, I, I'm not sure how to explain it in a way that's less fussy than, oh, you, you're carrying a well of repressed emotion. Like, it's very easy to make it sound woo. And even 
the first few times, or, or I'm still surprised sometimes, but when when you're uh, deep into one of these somatic practices, and then all of a sudden, you if you get good at this, you can get super intuitive with like feeling the most minute sensation directing you in a certain way. And then if you go mm -hmm. with that curiosity in a curious and open-hearted way, as you said, totally, yeah. it really ramps it up. And then you're like, all of a sudden your arms are flailing and you're fucking, mm -hmm. or you're, you know, <laughs> it can look yeah. like a, a full on exorcism and yeah. you can feel it like, Oh my, wow. The energy of this thing. Um, and I was care. I was imagine the energy it takes to push that, down all the time rather than just oh, yeah. letting it move through um yep. but but so how would you what's the best explanation you've heard of what's actually going on there um in terms of storing storing uh overwhelm in this way mm. yeah this is a great question um and one that i've talked to my teacher about at, at, mm. at length really um so his his perspective is that like the body keeps the score is not like strictly true from a neuroscience perspective in that the right. the memories the aren't stored in the tissues of the body. They're stored in the lower brain, like the lower brainstem essentially, which right. is where we have this like cortical map where, which does map these sensations and feelings onto parts of the body. So it almost mm -hmm. seems as if there's yeah, the, yeah, these, yeah. this huge energetic release like shoulder, come out right. of, come out of the body or it's in the shoulder or it's in the, in the psoas or in the pelvis. It expresses um, I, itself I, in the body, I guess. Is yes, pre yeah, precisely. Yeah. And so um, I think the, the languaging that makes the most sense to me and certainly sounds the least like woo is yeah. through the lens of uh, what's known as incomplete reflexes. And so, so when, mm. when we were particularly in childhood, in the at least in the first like six or seven years, um, there are these reflexes that have been mapped and kind of cataloged and you know cat categorized basically there's uh, there's a book called nurturing resilience by kathy kane that lists at least like 14 15 of them there's like the landau reflex there's, there's many different reflexes and mm. basically like when when we're young if if we don't feel safe enough or it's not appropriate to um, to kind of allow this reflex to be completed, it just gets like, it gets like stunted and then it gets yeah. kind of um, trapped or, or, or at least like buffered for later. Like our, our system's like, okay, it's not, it's not safe to go into this right now. So we're just going to store it for later. And what yeah. happens like, like this idea of emotional debt, like these get, these incomplete reflexes get accumulated yeah. um, over time. And, and when, when there's so many, then our nervous systems just become fragile. We become stuck in the sympathetic state and, you know, we get, we go into dysregulation essentially. And so mm -hmm. what these somatic processes do is they, they allow us to feel safe and then tap into the, the subconscious and in this like neuroplastic state, which allows these incomplete reflexes to surface and then be completed. And, and to be completed, it must be, it must like re, re arise. It must be activated. Often there's, there's movement associated. So like you said, like yep. your, your left arm might begin twitching and then it flails, or maybe there's like a, like a pushing motion. Like some, some people yeah. you've had, um, tr like being, being attacked in different ways. Like they need to yeah. recreate the experience of saying no and like pushing their arms away with yep. resistance to experience that. Or the, the famous example of peace, peace Levine gives in waking the tiger where his patient her her feet would start to pedal like she was running away yeah 
yeah and and like and like that that running away was the was the reflex that needed to be completed in order for something to integrate and you know there's a whole whole, and i'd love to see like a full you know like wikipedia of these different (laughs) and and and, and, you can also you can also have a lot of uh sounds and uh, like you said before um, there can be a lot of like (laughs) breathing really really fast and 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 like you said running and uh gurgling and like uh moaning and uh, dry heaving and stuff like that yeah yeah there's, there's also another i mean another couple of examples i mentioned just briefly one is um my teacher breathed someone who had had a near drowning experience like a near-death experience and their mm. their body flailed around in exactly the way as if yeah. they were drowning yep. at the time but they were actually in their body and they were feeling it and the yep. same is true of of rape victims or interestingly of surgeries like when people are under general anesthetic often they'll get on the breathwork table and they'll relive like the the pain basically that their their body went through when they were under anesthetic and that Mm -hmm. is a kind of like incomplete trauma reflex so so that for me is (laughs) so cool dude yeah it's yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's it's fast it's really fascinating and um and that that lens at least makes the most sense for me in terms of what i've seen in myself and what i've seen in people that i've worked with yeah uh two things come up in response to that one is the uh uh it it makes sense physiologically and from a an evolutionary lens i think where we we must have our brains must have some kind of resiliency system where it can work through uh emotional overwhelm we wouldn't be here if we didn't have a way to uh mm-hmm. to deal with that uh, that that's like my first uh, intuitive thought there so and you can see i mean there's a lot of you can observe it in other uh, animals uh, um, that mm-hmm. has similar responses, and they don't hide there's it. A, uh, they're there's not a video of, of the. Um, have you seen the impala that gets chased by a lion and it like hides behind a bush and just starts shaking? I, I think I've seen really something like video. that. Yeah, not an impala, but yeah, I would love to see. The, I mean, it's it's um, it makes sense that we would have that sharing, like the more uh, primal, basic brain structures. Uh, mm-hmm with other animals right so that yeah it, it makes sense to me and and when when you said that it was stored in the brainstem i really like that's what i've been telling my wife like baby i think i'm i'm in the deepest part of the brainstem uh <laughs> right now that's why it's looking so crazy right it's not an exorcism this is rational um but then um and the other thing is if the idea that you buffer these memories and you kind of store them in some kind of uh <laughs> I, I I felt sometimes when you use uh, certain chemicals to do this that they can facilitate like it, it literally feels like, OK, now we've reached a certain threshold of especially with MDMA, uh, a mm-hmm. specific threshold of safety. And I guess there are some physiological markers there where your body mind is just like, okay, uh, we're safe to process right now. What's next in line? And then it just pumps right, up the next right. thing in line and then you just keep <laughs> next diving deeper yeah. and deeper. Yeah, right? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, yeah. No, but that, that, yeah, that's so cool. And I, I'm just um, – I really hope that uh, – because I guess the, the explanation to why people are not aware of this and can't tap into it is because we're cultured. Uh, not to feel, not to shake. That it's vulnerable. Like you, you got to kind of. It feels like putting on a handbrake. Um, right. Can right. quite literally feel like if you if you shed a lot of layers, you can get increasingly sensitive to. Oh, something is 
right at the surface and it's knocking on the door right now. Uh, yeah. Whereas before, it was much easier to just have it deep, deep down in the cave where you couldn't hear any of <laughs> the signals, right? <laughs> that takes less energy. But if it's right close to the mm-hmm. surface, it literally feels like you're pushing it off. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I really hope that uh, we see a cultural shift there and that mm-hmm. this kind of therapy, bodywork therapy of different kinds, breathwork, somatic stuff, that that becomes more uh, standardized and maybe that it can be um, – you can get it paid for by the – if you live in Sweden, you can have you know a CBT therapist from uh, the general practitioner, right, general healthcare. Uh, I I hope somatics come to that level that we learn mm-hmm. more about it because it really seems to be the, the 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 biggest bang for our buck, like you said, in terms of, you know, you don't have to understand it even. It's just the body can work itself out if you have the the conditions of safety there. Yeah. Um, so I I just like to add a piece. I think what you said mm-hmm. is is beautiful, and I I totally agree. And I think there's a piece for like like our culture is quite unique in history in the sense that we don't anymore have containers or, or like ritual experiences yes. for yeah. for this emotional catharsis and emotional release and you know yeah. so many indigenous cultures have had whether it's like sweat lodges or vision quests or ceremonies where they exp- they know the importance of this and so they you know they design containers where it is safe yeah. for like the full spectrum of emotions to emerge and we really don't have that equivalent in in the west and yeah i don't think that it should be just in a kind of one-on-one therapeutic setting but like like to give an example um our housemate hosted a grief dance recently at our at our mm. house and it was like you know, <laughs> so come, nice. like we'll, we'll we'll play some beautiful music and here's a space <laughs> to dance dance and move and like let the grief kind of pass through you um and, <laughs> and, so and, and i i can think of like you know what what's maybe a beautiful question is like what what is the equivalent what's the western equivalent of yeah. Like that and ways in which like i think men's groups are particularly powerful for this or or, or like like retreats yeah. out into the wilderness we often feel yeah. safer in nature to, to go into these things so I, I think it's like what feels um like like ours to design like what types of containers can we create for for, for culture and for you know for deepening friendships and bonds not just purely for healing our shit but like to, yeah, yeah, yeah. to deep, deepen our connection and to feel connection, more alive yeah. and yeah yeah so that's that's like my my hope that's really beautiful yeah i i would love that stuff and i mean <clears throat> i told you before that when i hear, hear all these cool retreats you're going on i'm, I'm really jealous i uh <clears throat> that, that, i mean and that's the thing i i used to be extremely into um you know i actually that's not uh, fair. I am extremely into Sam Harris. I'm a huge fan of his. Um, mm-hmm. And as far as public intellectuals go, I think he's hard to beat. But uh, I used to be uh, very extreme on the other end of, you know, it was all rational argument. And especially, you know, if you know anything about Sam Harris, he started off as, you know, one of the most world renowned atheists um, yeah, and a yeah, strong. Yeah. Uh, disproponent of religion and um I, I i think there's a lot of issues there and i also think that the thing that religion organized religion has gotten right that we're missing is exactly what you're saying here a container for something other than just you know going to your job doing your chores and like the divine the the i'm using divine more as in the sense of you know what we're awestruck 
about that we don't know, you know, extreme mm. gratitude and the non-dual stuff is as mystical definition. as it gets. Sure. Yeah, right. And um, sure. but um, we don't really have uh, a forum for people who think rationality and reason is amazing. And also think it's fucking amazing to marvel at the mysteries of existence and also love to feel. And um, so, so yeah, I really hope that perhaps people such as, uh, such as you and myself and, and other like-minded uh, people can, can start building these things or, or show in, in small ways that these things are okay and, and just open up more and more. Um, and I think it's kind of unfair, Johnny, to be honest, the more you open up, to yourself and all the different parts of you and and start not only tolerating them but actually embracing them and 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 loving them um it's so much easier to uh to connect with people and with Mm like-minded people and i mean i have never met you before and already i feel tremendous love for you uh here in this conversation Mm -hmm. and i i'm i I just think it's so beautiful I'm, i'm so grateful for that Mm, beautiful thank thank you and i feel the same way and and i think that in many ways like one one like reason to dive into this if not for like the self which you know some people Mm -hmm. might be like well it's selfish to just you know work on my own problems like everyone has problems but i think that it allows us to to really connect with with our loved ones and and with people more genuinely and more authentic instead of hiding behind these personas or or like constructing certain situations so that we don't have to feel a certain thing we can just be genuine and we we can be ourselves and that creates intimacy like that's really what i think this is building it's like intimacy with Mm -hmm. ourselves so that we can be intimate with with friends with partners even with the world like falling in love with the world i I, like i see it as like almost these barriers are it's I, i think it's it's a Rumi quote where he says like your great task is to investigate the barriers to love so I'm, I'm paraphrasing but that's essentially what it yeah. is and i think that these somatic these somatic like things that we've been talking about they're basically like looking at and then dissolving all of the barriers to this innate sense of like joy and connection and reverence as well like i, mm. I use reverence in a non-religious sense but it's just like yeah. wow it's like ah oh. yeah <laughs> and, and that's that has been you know my experience of moving through this there is just so much more like awe and wonder and and connection that is possible and it and i found that it's you know it's changed my friendships it's changed yeah. it's changed a lot in my life like a lot a lot has has flowed but i'm so i'm so freaking grateful for it um, yeah it's, it's partly why you know i love having conversations like this because i'm like i i i want to share this stuff you know it's, it's like, <laughs> it, like allows yeah. you to laugh more deeply like you can yeah. Yeah. you can take yourself less seriously yeah. And so I, yeah, I, I really, I kind of feel a great kinship with, with you as well. And just, um, the desire to be like, like guys, like, look, like, look at this thing, like this, yeah. this matters. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, oh, that's so nice to hear, man. I love it. And, um, I, I don't think we can end on a more beautiful note than that. And, um, <clears throat> I have so much more I want to talk to you about Johnny, but I, um, uh, I'm getting really physically tired here and uh, I, I feel like my mm. wife needs to be able to relax here tonight, watch some shows. And so uh, <clears throat> I would like to um, to thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. And uh, I'm also going to have you uh, 
I'm going to coerce you into uh, vowing that we're going to have m- m- another conversation at least uh, sometime soon because I, uh, this can't this can't be a, this is not enough for me. <laughs> I'm greedy too. I, I'm willing Grateful to have my my hand twisted for a round two. Yeah, I would, I would <laughs> love that as well. Yeah, that sounds fun. This is this has been amazing. Like I really just. Yeah, like I said, I joked about doing a six-hour podcast, but I, I'd be happy <laughs> to do that. <laughs> if, That's yeah, awesome. If about this stuff. That's yeah, so great cool. to hear, man. All right, so uh, <laughs> have a great day, and I'll talk to you soon.